all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Ow. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join our discussion group, TikTok and Twitch. You can follow us as well at All Bad Things Pod. And you can email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com if you have scripts or suggestions. I already said that. <laughs> Discord. Did you say Discord? I didn't. Whatever. And our Discord. Yeah. <laughs> You, trying to get it in there. Yes. <laughs> right, we, we, we are on many things now. It's... We, we are on many things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we do still also sign and send scripts. Yes, somebody uh, wanted very, one the other very day. recently, yes. yes. <laughs> um, everyone's clamoring for them. Not really, so feel free because we probably <laughs> we have plenty. <laughs> yeah, we have quite a few for sure. Yes. So what are we doth drinking tonight? <laughs> I am having what are we doth drinking? Mm-hmm. I am do- I doth drinketh a spriteth zero sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, th- like I guess just nothing's diet anymore. It's well, just zero you know sugar. What? Or I don't see diet. <clears throat> I don't see diet. I don't see in diet. I, I see diets. <laughs> I think they still call it diet coke just for branding purposes. They have Coke Zero, too. Yeah, see, that's but... the confusing thing. That's, so, what, that's what throws me off. I think what it is is a rebranding, which is good, like, to kind of eliminate the word diet, it's like, it's because like we should eliminate diet culture. They're, they're onto us with the, uh, <laughs> we need to I change mean, the name. Everybody knows that zero sugar is the same thing, but in my opinion, there there's like, a, there is a taste difference between a sugar-free, uh, in other words, a drink using non-sugar sweeteners um, or uh, alleged zero-calorie sweeteners mm-hmm. or whatever, and regular sugar drinks. I personally prefer the zero-sugar because the artificial sweeteners are sweeter. Maybe they'll give me cancer, but As life just, will give yeah, me cancer, so what does it matter? Yeah. If you live long enough, mm-hmm. you'll get it. What are you drinking? As I if am, it needs to be asked. I don't think it does, but just in case... <laughs> I am having the finest national local beer on the market in a uh, St. Louis Cardinals koozie. There that, you go. That we, got at, that we got at the stadium. Yeah, that's right. I did get to see the Cardinals play. Won't rub that in too much since you didn't, and I know that was yeah. a sore spot. <laughs> oh, not a sore spot. It was just a bummer. It was like it was like a figure. It was like the, the three days that I'm there. Whatever. It happens. So, where... Where did we leave off? Yes. In our tale of the Motley... You know what? I think of I... Of the Motley crew? I may have miss... I may have underutilized the umlaut in my original release of the first episode. Do they have an umlaut over the first O in Motley? I believe they do. Okay, so it's Motley crew. Yeah. Okay. I, I only put the one over the U. They're cruising through Canada, remember? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because they that got banned they... from Edmonton? Yes, that's where they got their first piece of, like, uh, international press. That's right. So we've already had the first death. 
We have. And um, well, not of anybody in Motley Crue. No, I'm, they're all still alive. They're all right? still alive. Like, how is that fair? I don't. Well, impossible is the first word <laughs> right, that I thought of. Right. <laughs> um, but we've had the first death. It was. Oh, by the way, we got a we got an Instagram. Hold on. I we got an Instagram. Hold on. Hold on. We got we got an Instagram comment regarding the first episode, and specifically regarding the sweet the the band that you mentioned that uh the the guitarist died or whoever was in the oh, car hanoi rocks yeah. yes they are according to nora from instagram okay uh they said interesting episode motley crew was my mom's favorite band when she was a teen <laughs> but i didn't know that much about them as a Finn, I just wanted to point out that Hanoi Rocks was a Finnish band. Not oh, did I a say Swedish? Swedish band. I did, Apparently didn't you I? Did. Yeah. That's right. I met, I, and I had it written down because I did that when I was researching it. Or maybe I, I don't know. I did that when I was researching it too. You said Swedish when you meant Finnish? Yes. Um, and they said, I live in the same city as singer Michael Monroe. Okay, yeah. Looking for. He's, he's the guy that fractured his ankle. Which is why they were on hiatus for a little bit, which allowed okay. the band to be partying with Motley Crue for oh, four geez. straight days. And I said, looking forward to the next episode to find out the other terrible stuff this crew did. Thank oh, there's uh, there's there's quite a bit to go through. We we just kind of just you know we just we did the introduction. We're just letting it you know simmer just a little mm-hmm. bit. We haven't brought it to a boil quite yet. So we'll see if this turns into a part three. Uh, I we'll see. I don't think it will. Okay. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. We will find out. So where were we? Ah, yes. Talking about one of the most consequential bands in American history. <laughs> consequential in many For ways. better or for worse. Mm-hmm. So just over six months after Motley Crue lead singer Vince Neil became responsible for the death of mm-hmm. Hanoi Rock's drummer Nicholas Dingley, better and, known as Razzle. And the permanent dis- disabling of a couple of people, yep. too. And the permanent injury of two women due to drunk driving, Motley Crue released their third album in June 1985 titled Theater of Pain. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the album was dedicated in Razzle's honor and also became a commercial success, resulting in the band's second straight four times platinum album. So, and again, platinum's a million. Million. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'll get into their. Yeah, we'll get into their like career totals because it's kind of it's like eye opening. It's like really. Mm. The album also accidentally kicked off the quote unquote power ballad style of slow oh, songs really? with their unexpected hit "Home Sweet Home." I don't think I know that one. You've probably heard it. Yeah? Yeah, okay. you probably have. But it's a power ballad, huh? Mm-hmm. They're not the first ones to do a power ballad, are they? They're not the first, but they were They were the first ones to have it be a giant hit, and then everybody copied that formula. Everybody mm-hmm. was like, okay, you come out with the two fast songs, then you okay. hit them with the, the fucking power ballad. I would pause it. I know this, this is not a power ballad, but I would say it was a precursor to the power ballad, Freebird. Uh yeah sure yeah you know, I can like I, I can epic... see the you can draw a straight line from one to the next because yeah. Free Bird isn't necessarily a slow song it's not the necessarily the first part a, of it is uh, yeah it's not necessarily a ballad it's it's kind of like three yeah. different styles of song in one yeah kind of what would you say is because I was literally trying to think what would you say is like the biggest power ballad of all time probably Stairway to Heaven it's got to be right you would call that a power ballad sure. I don't know that I would. Yeah, I would. Okay. If many a many a many a young boy around my age uh, heard that song at a dance. 
But that also goes into a faster, harder sure. section, S- like many, Free Bird. Many power ballads do as well. well. So does Free Bird. Right. Yeah, there you go. Ergo. Ergo. <laughs> um, so I yes, well, I, I associate it with the '80s, I guess. Oh sure. Power ballads with the '80s. Yeah. Well, the difference between the 80s power ballads and the 70s ones were the 80s ones were like three minutes shorter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's true. That's true. I get that. Yep. So mm-hmm. they could fit it neatly onto Top 40 radio. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of the goal was kind of the same. Like, we need to make people cry occasionally. Didn't Meatloaf do something dashboard lights? Is that a power ballad? Paradise Under the, under the Dashboard Lights? It's not. It's actually kind of, it's a fast song. Oh, I guess I don't know it. Yeah. I haven't, man, I haven't listened to that album Forever. Oh, Shit. every rose has its thorn. A famous oh, power God, ballad. Oh yeah. One of the biggest. Um. We'll we'll uh we'll pull up on because uh, <laughs> I had the CD because it came out in like '99. Uh huh. I think it was. Uh, Want me to look at something up? Monster on? ballads. That's oh. what it was. <laughs> it was uh, it was one of those TV. You know, it was right. like fifteen bucks or whatever. Like wacky favorites. I remember that. But one. uh. By the time 99 came around, like, the power ballad thing had been gone for a while, and now it was kind of nostalgic, even though I was only 22. Let's see about a playlist of... uh, We have um, Whitney Houston. I don't know if Whitney... What's love got to do it? This Wait, is that's a not terrible. The, that's no. not the right album. Don't that you is, forget about me? These aren't is, power ballads. No, no. there's a, no monster ballads is the name of the album. No, I know. I'm just looking in general. 80s rock power ballads, wanted, dead or alive. I guess a little bit. Free fallen. Yeah. Mm, here, here I go again. That's not a ballad. Well, anyway. <laughs> now we're just getting <laughs> simple man. That's a that's I would call that a power ballad. Sure. Skinner. So anyway, back to Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lady by Sticks. There's a good one. Oh God. Not a good song, but a good no. example. <laughs> so the recording of the album was fraught with tension. I geez, imagine that. Because I wonder why. <laughs> in the wake of Neil's accident and Six's growing heroin addiction. Oh, fun. And members of the band have said that they consider it a creative disappointment. That album, Theater of Pain. Even though it's it got, went, um, sold like four million albums. It's got one of their biggest hits, which is Home Sweet Home. But okay. really, the only other notable song on it is a cover of Smoking in the Boys' Room. I think that's oh, on that well, album. Oh, who did that? Motley Crue. Smoking no, in the Boys' Room was originally Thin Lizzy, I think. Let's find out. I think it was. Smoking in, smoking in the boys' room. Brownsville Station? Never would have gotten that. That song has been done a couple of times. I, I know the Motley Crue version the best. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Someone has this playlist called Smoking Weed in My Car Alone at Night. There you go. So in February 1986, while on tour in London, England, Nikki Six suffered a near-fatal heroin overdose. Oh God! And the person who sold him the drugs dumped his unconscious body mm. in a dumpster. Oh my God! That's like close to homicide. The incident inspired Six to write the song "Dancing on Glass" for their next album. I know you're all going to be shocked when I tell you that this would not be his last near-fatal episode with heroin, or will it be a fatal episode? No, it won't, because he went on to do the well, radio show. You can be brought back to life. Oh. <laughs> Did they Uma Thurman him? <laughs> we'll get into that. So in May 1987, the band's fourth album... So again, I'm I'm going over their career lapsing with these tragedies. So, uh-huh. so everybody can kind of get the sense of just how fucking gigantic this band was. Yeah. You know, selling two, having two straight yeah. four millions... 
plus mm-hmm. selling albums. That's mm-hmm. you know you've done something right if you done if you did that twice two times in a row. Well, you've done something that worked, not yep. that you've done anything right. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So uh, the band debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 at the time. It was their highest charting album. Okay. What, sorry, what was the album? Is this still Girls, the... Girls, Girls? Oh, okay. As okay. you would see, uh, plenty of uh, neon billboards for in uh, Myrtle Beach. Girls, girls, <laughs> girls. Mm-hmm. Hey, mommy, that's a place for us. Yes, yes, that is, that is something that actually happened to someone we know. So the band faced many of the same personal issues that plagued the recording of Theater of Pain, and Six has complained that those issues compromised the album's quality. Although he has spoken out more positively about the record in subsequent years. I mean, I don't know that I would go calling any of their that, shit uh, high quality. <laughs> but as far as their shit, that's uh-huh. probably, to me, that's probably their second best album. What's their first best album in your uh, Shout out the Devil. That's like, okay. it's still got the rawness, but there's enough production. Mm-hmm. You know, there's enough mm-hmm. energy there. It's, yeah. That's got probably some of their best songs. So does this album, I think, too. Um, so, um, speaking of Nikki Six. Mm-hmm. On December 23rd, 1987, mm-hmm. he suffered another heroin overdose. Well... This time, a fatal one. Okay. At the ripe old age of 29. Jeez. So Six's heroin use began when the band was recording their second album, uh, Shout of the Devil, in uh-huh. 1983 when he crashed his Porsche into a telephone pole and suffered a dislocated shoulder. Did we talk about that already? We, we have oh, not. Oh, okay, okay. We talked about the car accident that killed right. the band, mm-hmm. uh, the drummer from the other band. Mm-hmm. So, quote, I spent the next three days unconscious and whacked out on painkillers. Heroin began to consume me, unquote. So, was it, uh, did the painkiller killer start his heroin addiction? Led to it. An is, opioid yeah. addiction rather than him just and plus deciding the, to take plus it. And plus the other shit he was already doing. He was just like, oh, why not? Mm. We'll, we'll throw some heroin into the mix. Right, I'm sure he had an addictive personality to start, but... At first, he only smoked heroin, but a friend and fellow musician from the band Rat, that's with two, two T's. T's. Rat. Ratata. Ratat. Rat. Rat. Taught him how to use needles instead. Uh. Quote, it was all over. The first time I shot up, I passed out. Unquote. Six later began mixing cocaine with the heroin to avoid passing out. So, <laughs> oh, like speed him up? Yeah. <laughs> so back to this particular okay. incident at hand. Uh-huh. So Six was declared dead by paramedics on the way to the hospital. Fortunately for Six, one of the paramedics was a huge Motley Crue fan and knew who he was. The paramedic had to do had to use two, not one, two adrenaline shots to revive him, but revive him he Jesus. did. Jesus. Wait, so we... <laughs> I don't know if this is a positive thing. <laughs> Maybe the world would have been better without Motley Crue. So after this point, so maybe I mean, if that person the, hadn't yeah. saved his life, that's, they could have just folded at that, that point. By the time we get to the end of this episode, that is something that somebody could genuinely take away from these two episodes. Like, you know what? <laughs> maybe it wasn't such a great idea to revive him at 29. Um, it's interesting because now I'm pretty sure Narcan can be used for... And they still use adrenaline needles too, but... Uh... This is, this is what they, oh yeah, but this is what they solely had back in the day. Narcan wouldn't be a thing for like another 30 no, years. No, I know, but I just feel like they're probably not likely to use, well, neither of us are medical professionals. We are not. I would love to hear from our medical professional listeners, do they use adrenaline for opioid overdoses now, or is it just Narcan? Because from what I understand, Narcan's pretty damn 
effective. Mm-hmm. So he was clinically dead for two minutes. Six. Mm. Re- <laughs> How much brain function of his limited brain function did he have after? Well, maybe this? that was like the, maybe that was like the shell around it was all the because he was he was already much, brain dead partially anyway. Yeah, so it didn't right. It did so much. No, nobody noticed. So Six recalls waking up with the two needles sticking out of his chest with one of the paramedics stating, quote, nobody's going to fucking die in my ambulance, unquote. Okay. I think he, I think this might be a, an apocryphal story to an extent. It probably is. Because you're not going to wake up and have, why would you have two needles still sticking in your chest? I don't think it works like that. I think he's making this up. I mean, embellishing the story, let's say. He probably is. But anyway, yeah. it's still a great story. Not for him. Well... Like, not, I for, mean, not for humanity. Not for humanity, yeah. For him, it's a great... He's still around. That's the problem. So after an in-hospital interrogation by police, mm. Six was let out on his own recognizance. What Six didn't realize was that the story had already reached the press who'd pronounced him dead. Well, yeah, because so, he w- was. <laughs> yes. So he left the hospital with nothing on but a pair of leather pants. Ew. Two, pe- <laughs> two people in the parking lot turned out to be fans of Motley Crue as well. <laughs> Recognized him and gave him a ride home. Remember, we're in L.A. Like pro- maybe the know. problem isn't Motley Crue, but their fans <laughs> it's, who it's, keep enabling yes. them. Yes. <laughs> so he got home and he shot up for the last time. So even after all this, so that wasn't the last time. Nope. It was the second to last time. It was. <laughs> uh, so, in the meantime, there was quite a bit of confusion. Vince Neal was woken up to a police call, uh, to a police call, to a phone call. He probably has police calls, too. um, To a phone call from his manager stating that he wasn't sure if Nikki was dead or alive. Moments later, he received a call from the band's limo driver, who recalled seeing the heroin dealer jump from a hotel window where Six had suffered the overdose running down the street, screaming that he just killed Nikki Six. I thought he dumped his body, though. No, that was the first time he overdosed. Oh, sorry. <laughs> keep, your, his overdoses, keep your overdoses sorry. straight. I'm getting them mixed up. Moments after that phone call, uh, Neil received another phone call from their accountant, who told Neil he at, he was asked for a statement about Nikki Six from a reporter who was writing up his obituary. Jeez. In all of the confusion, Neil stayed on the line with his accountant while he called the hospital. They then learned together that Six was last seen alive leaving the hospital. Quote, he just left, unquote, Neil recounted on, while on the phone with a nurse. Quote, he pulled the tubes out of his nose, tore out the IV, Ew. and told everyone to fuck off. He, <laughs> he walked out with only a pair of leather pants on, unquote. Oh my god, what a Six would check into a rehab in January 1988 and has been sober ever since. Well, I mean, good for him... His two minutes with death inspired one of Motley Crue's biggest hits to um, date. Care to guess? Something about two minutes to death? No. Kickstart my heart. Kickstart my heart. That's right. You mentioned that before. The third single on their fifth album, 1989's Dr. Feelgood. Oh, did it, did Dr. Feelgood. I think we did this last time. <laughs> their decadent lifestyles almost shattered the band until managers Thaler and McGee pulled an intervention and refused to allow the mm. band to tour in Europe, fearing that, quote, someone would come back in a body bag, unquote. He probably wasn't far off from... No. <laughs> like, also, like, something that struck me... It's pretty good me. estimation with these guys. Who would call somebody's accountant for a statement regarding somebody's obituary? Probably because it's, <laughs> it's, like, the lowest guy on the, on the, the totem. The easiest person to get... To get, a, like, to a get quick a quote of. from. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, because they wouldn't be able to get a hold of the manager. No. And, you know. 
So that, that's probably what. Because <laughs> I, I did think. Because I, I did think about that. I'm like, well, he is the accountant. I'm like, he is a very important person, but he's not. Like, it's true. He's not in the press. But also, like, they would be under an ethical obligation not to comment, too. That is true. Because that would greatly affect their finances. I mean, he was probably freaking the fuck out, I'm sure. Like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it probably hasn't, more as an accountant, he's like, uh, well, bass players, whatever. We can just, we can just <laughs> get a, swap them out. We can just get a new one of those. Nobody will ever even notice. <laughs> not like Spoken it's a lead like singer. a drummer. <laughs> yeah, not, not like it's like the prima donna. <laughs> Sure. Oh, so, geez. shortly after the intervention, all the band members jointly entered a drug rehabilita- rehabilitation facility in an effort to move forward as a band. Even, um, uh, what's his name? Vince Neil? Vince Neil. Hmm? Who was now, wait, he was the guy, no, Nikki Six. Even Nikki Six, um, after already being sober. Mm-hmm. So he went to rehab even though it was like, yep. it had already worked for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess that's a... Commitment to your band to go to a facility you don't necessarily need to. Although, I guess a lot of people in sobriety, like, go to meetings and stuff. So maybe it was kind, kind of, of just same, like that. Yeah, yeah, in the same vein. Like a, a retreat. Yes. <laughs> Sorts of sober retreat. You know, like the movie 28 Days. It was just <laughs> like that. But I watched that not long ago. Rewatched it as like a... But I mean, Actually, the, I don't remember much about it. It's kind well, of a non-memorable film. It, it kind of is, and it kind of isn't. Um, but the title of the film has since been ruined by the movies "28 Days Later" yes. and "28 Weeks Later." So it's like twenty-eight days. What? That's like, a that was a joke in the <laughs> office that Pam thought she was uh, renting twenty-eight days, and she accidentally watched <laughs> twenty-eight days, days later. later. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that'd be a hey. That's a great zombie story right there. They. It was that was a good movie. Yeah. That was a very good movie. But like zombies attack a drug rehab center like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that I got you. A new plot. <laughs> yes, that would be fun. I, I'm taking credit for that. If I see it on screen, I'm suing. <laughs> uh, so after finding sobriety, Motley Crue reached, which was pretty much this is going to be their peak. Okay. Uh, with the release of their fifth album, the Bob Rock produced Doctor Feelgood on September 1st, 1989. I still had a mullet on September 1st. <laughs> I had not not had it cut yet. I didn't uh. I didn't get it cut until after hockey season that year. And that was <laughs> that was the end of it. I did have this on cassette though. You had Doctor. Well, I had Doctor Feelgood. I had uh, Theater of Pain, um, and Shout Out the Devil. On on cassette, yeah. I, those cassettes are somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> you still have them? Maybe. maybe. I mean, they're probably in a bin somewhere. For all I know, who knows? Well, as far as I know, we have all your childhood stuff down in the crawl space. Yeah, so. it might be down there. We have never really gone through after, all after that the stuff. apocalypse. Somebody will find <laughs> three Motley Crue cassettes. We'll be a like, gift, "What is this?" A gift to the world. What's and a Motley Crue? Like everything will like spread again. Like <laughs> You'll re- <laughs> we'll repurpose the earth with Motley Crue as the, as the soundtrack. Uh, okay. So where were we? All right. So, uh, it became their first and only number one album and stayed on the Billboard 200 album charts for 114 straight weeks after its release. So the band members each stated in interviews that due in no small part to their collective push for sobriety, Dr. Feelgood was their most solid album musically to that point. Uh, yeah. Nah. 
the the title well this, this is one of their best songs though the title track uh kickstart my heart and kickstart my heart were both nominated for grammys in the best hard rock category in 1990 and in 1991 grammys grammys they also <laughs> had two uh nominations at the american music awards so all was well with motley Crue, and they all lived happily ever right uh-huh. yeah i guess that's a no on that so the band spent the fall of 1989 and most of 1990 in a massive world tour the band's biggest to that point well so did they all succeed in their sobriety for the most part no not really nikki did but the the rest of the guys like yeah Mm. so it was a major financial success but left the band feeling burned out because they'd pretty much been doing nothing but touring and recording for about... That's, well, they pumped you know, out five ten, albums over... Eight years. Yeah. And, so. tour, and toured all of them to death. Right. Well, <laughs> Almost literally. Yes. While also severely under the influence. And obviously, like, that will put you in poor health. So they were just in poor health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the decline of Motley Crue's popularity... So Vince Neil left the band in February 1992 following the release of their Greatest Hits compilation, Decade of Decadence, during a period in which most other prominent glam metal bands of the 1980s were breaking up or otherwise seeing their popularity decline significantly amid the advent of grunge and alternative yep. music. I was going to say this is when the 80s like, music really started falling. Oh yeah, like the, the ship starts sinking mm-hmm. and it, it sunk pretty fast. Yeah. Like I remember living through this. Yeah. And, I mean, I had all the hair metal cassettes and then going straight to... Yeah, <laughs> like, nope. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Nine Inch Nails, and, you know, so... I mean, it, it wasn't, like, overnight. Right. But it but was it, almost. It, it only... Like, what, within a year or two or I something? would say within, like, 18 months it was, wow. like... Okay. Like, gone. Wow. Because other, pre- other big turnover. bands at the time had released albums in, like, 92 and 93, and they got no traction. Because grunge and, mm. and alternative music were already in style, and uh, the '80s bands were not doing well. Hmm. Some did. I mean, there are a handful that still stayed relevant, but not very many. Um, well, um, Guns and Roses had <laughs> had had some. Did they have a little success in the early '90s? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's when uh, "Use Your Illusion" "Use Your Illusion" one and two came out. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, they had a lot of success up until probably like 93, 94, and then it was mm. kind of over. But they more self-imploded, right? Yeah, pretty much. Also, Axl Rose is a douchebag, <laughs> from is. what I understand. Yes, he is. Slash is probably kind of an idiot, too. Hey, he's still in bands, still making music, though. But uh, So it remains His unclear. His name is Slash. I'm That's pretty true. sure he's an idiot. <laughs> it remains unclear whether Neil was fired or quit the band. So Six has long maintained that Neil quit, huh. while Neil insists that he was fired. Well, it sounds like a, <laughs> a classic... Uh... Band drama. Yes. Drums. <laughs> so, quote, any band has its little spats, unquote, Vince Neil observed in the year 2000. <clears throat> and this one basically just stemmed from a bunch of fuck yous in a rehearsal studio. It went from I quit to you're fired. It was handled idiotically, unquote. That sounds... It was handled idiotically, the Motley Crue story could basically... Yeah. Well, well, we'll get into that. So the management just let one of the biggest bands in the world break up, uh, quote-unquote, from Nikki Six. Well, I mean, if you guys are going to be ridiculous like that, what is management supposed to do? Babysit you? Come on. Yeah, it's time to move on. Ugh. 
So after hiring new lead singer John Karabi, the band released their self-titled seventh album in March 1994. That's interesting. It took them to their seventh album to release their self first self-titled album. Mm-hmm. While the album debuted at number seven on the Billboard 200, making it their fifth straight record to crack the top ten, sales quickly plummeted and it was deemed a commercial failure. Sorry, you probably said this and I just did not hear it or wasn't listening. What's that? They have a new vocalist? Yes, John Karabi. Yes. Okay. All right. I do remember that name. But I remember when this album came out and it was like, that's not really Motley Crue. Mm. You know, because it wasn't Was his voice similar? No, it was different. Like, but... um, like, you know, so, ACDC, you kind of can't tell the difference no, when they switched with this, over. No, with this, the style was completely different. Okay. So it is their worst-selling album to date, mm. <clears throat> and the supporting tour for the record saw the band downsizing from arenas to theaters and clubs. Ooh. As time has gone on, the album has received new life in recent years with very favorable reviews coming from rock critics who have praised the album, calling it a creative triumph, <laughs> while also stating that it has some of the band's heaviest songs to date. So it's one of those, like, when it came out, nobody really gave it a legitimate chance because it wasn't Motley Crue in mm-hmm. most people's eyes. It was Motley Crue with a new lead singer, right. which wasn't, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't the same. But, uh, but like, anytime, like, you just leave something to settle for a while and then you look back on it, sometimes, not all the time, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like, yeah, this was pretty good. I have not listened to this album, so I... Oh, okay. I don't... I know one of the singles from it, but that's it, so... Okay. So yeah, so we're at a <clears throat> we're at a point where like the style of music they made popular is just pretty much dying it's on the out. Down. Yes. Yeah, decline. Yes. Um so Vince Neil and this time embarked on a moderately successful solo career, and it was also during this time when Karma came back on Vince in truly heartbreaking fashion. Oh no. So we're gonna dive into more of the tragic incidents that surrounded the band and go into less and less and of the history of the band itself, because they're kind of they're they've not reached really their going, they've reached their right? peak. They're they're gonna make some more albums, but they'll never. They're not in their prime at this point. No, yet. and they'll never mm-hmm. be back to the overwhelming the right. you know mm-hmm. level of success that they had initially. Gotcha. But they they still remain famous, and they still remain you know one of the best selling rock bands of all time. Which are is they crazy. touring today, or are you gonna get into their later career? We're gonna get into that. Okay. <laughs> So, Skylar Neal. So, uh-huh. on March 26, 1991, Skylar Linnae Neal was born. It was Vince's third child and first with his then-wife, Sharice Rodell. They were divorced shortly after her birth while Vince was getting ready for his first solo tour, which is where he would be for most of Skylar's early life. In early 1990, uh, 1995, she fell ill with what was initially thought to be appendicitis. Uh-huh. As further tests were so done... she's like was, three or four? She's four. Four, yeah. sorry. Uh-huh. So as further tests were done, it was discovered that Skylar had an extremely rare form of kidney cancer that occurs most often in children known as Wilms tumor, and also known as nephroblastoma. Okay. So when this was discovered, she immediately underwent large amounts of chemotherapy and radiation treatment, including six different failed operations. She passed away on August 15th, 1995. Oh, poor girl. The tumor had grown to a weight of six and a half pounds by the time of her death. In a child? That's like... That's a huge that's portion like, that's, of their weight. That's like a quarter of you, probably. Right? I, yeah, I don't know how much children have. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I have no I source either. of ref, no frame of reference for but that's, that. That's, but that's, still, yeah, that would be huge for for an adult, let alone for a, a tiny human. Wow, all oh, that's sad. On Vince's second and last solo album, Carved in Stone, 
He wrote a tribute song to her titled Skylar's Song. Hmm. That's so. kind of like a, um, that would be, a, I don't know, <laughs> we will never do this because this would be horrible. But like going over the deaths of children of famous people. That would be horrible. <laughs> it would be yeah. horrible. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. like, anytime, if it happens coincidentally, then, you know. The first thing I always think of when like um, tragic death of the child of a child of a rock star, I always think of Eric Clapton's kid. Yeah, that's that's, that's pretty like brutal. one of the worst yeah. stories ever. Yes. yes, it is. Like that's I read about it in his biography and I was like, oh, my God. God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Like, you can look it up if you want to, but trigger warning, it's really sad. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that's one I would, I've never even thought of doing, don't even want to do. I know, it's, a, it's, just, a fr- it's too... one of those horrible freak accidents. Yeah. But not that it's fun that this poor girl had to go nope. through, like, chemo and all that at such a young age. That was probably really hard on her. Oh, I'm sure. Mm. So now we're on to... Tommy Lee. Who himself could be an entire topic. This trash bag of a human, Tommy Lee. What a dipshit. In March 1995, Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee began dating Pamela Anderson, easily one of the most famous women on the planet at that time. So what year did you say? 1995. I'm not sure I knew it was that late. Hmm? I thought they had been together a little longer because I remember when they were together. Yeah, it, it didn't last for very been, long. Okay, I guess I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. it was so brief. Yeah. Um, but she would have been on Baywatch and stuff at this point, right? I think she still was. And yeah. she was still trying to be, they were still trying to put her in movies here and there then. But it, even so, like Barbed she was... Barbed Wire. Didn't she do Barbed yep. Wire? That was yep. one of her movies, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, she's easily like one of the most famous people on the planet in 1995 mm-hmm. in my opinion like she was she was everywhere was she um, a playboy oh yeah a bunch okay. of times um so the couple soon after dating became a paparazzi magnet mm-hmm. like no shit and that's why we all remember them dating because there are this is remember this is like this is pre youtube and everything yeah mm-hmm. we all remember seeing video of what i'm about to talk about oh okay um Not the sex tape no. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to mention that, but plenty, oh. plenty of people saw that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on September... I'm, what I'm going to mention is a, an assault instead. Oh. Uh, so on September 30th, 1996, Pam and Tommy Lee were leaving the Viper Room. Oh, where um, River Phoenix died. Mm-hmm. Of a drug overdose just a few years earlier, and were greeted by dozens of photographers. Photographer Henry Trappler would face the brunt of the couple's frustration when Tommy Lee grabbed Woody's camera and flung him to the ground, causing mul- multiple fractures to Trappler's pelvis. And this was so, in an era of um, paparazzi becoming oh, at the fo- to the huge. fore as an issue. Yes. Um, and of course, the next year, seemingly, Princess Diana and mm-hmm, all that. Mm-hmm. They're seemingly everywhere in 1996. Right. The Princess Diana thing like made it chill out right. a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But, so, uh huh. So I don't remember this incident. Oh, really? Well, you, I was you, really that's little. right. Anybody around my age remembers that? I mean, uh-huh. it was like a viral video before there was a viral video because, you know, there's all these photographers there, so everybody had it on film. Right. But the guy gets kind of too close to him and he grabs his camera. Okay. While the photographer is still holding on okay. to his camera. So it's moving him, too. And he just literally just flings him to the ground while he's still in. I mean, he's, he's landing on cement, and he landed, like, really awkwardly. Uh, and it was just like, yeah, he's probably hurt. And you said it broke his pelvis? Yes. Or, oh. mm-hmm. Fractured his pelvis. Right. That would be, that would not, be very that's not fucking a fun painful. injury. No. Not that there are fun injuries, but you know. No. And this guy's a, 
I mean, he's a piece of shit paparazzi, let's be honest. But he's also a human being who makes his living having to be mobile. And now he's got a fractured pelvis, so... Yeah, and also... I mean, it is a highly complicated topic. But, like, without publicity, there are no celebrities. That is true. And at this time, there wasn't a really good ethical framework for where the line should be drawn when it comes to... um, when it comes to publicity, paparazzi, that sort of thing, because they would do are a lot less relevant now. They because, are because everybody is one now. Yes, everybody. Everybody has their own camera. Everybody has their own camera, yeah. and um, celebrities are very accessible through social media. Right, they control their own paparazzi they now. Can, yes, they can control a lot more of the narrative than they used to be mm-hmm. able to. So, I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's. But I hate Tommy Lee, so (laughs) that's what it comes down to. Like, this guy's just a piece of shit. So, I don't know. So, the incident was captured by multiple photographers and was, who was, and videographers, because he's doing it right in front of everybody. That's the other thing. He's so, like, brain dead to think that he can do this in front of, like, all these other cameras. He's not, he's just being reactionary. Yeah. So notably, this happened roughly a year before Princess Diana's fateful right. car crash uh-huh. that resulted in trying to escape the tabloid uh-huh. press. In Pamela's divorce filing several years after this incident, she claimed that Lee had physically abused her on several occasions, Would which I'm not, not fucking at all. I 100 percent believe that. Not surprised. 100 percent believe that. First of all, because we should always believe survivors. Second of all, like that seems like the most obvious statement ever that Tommy Lee was a fucking abuser. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> totally concur. So a few years later, on June 16th, 2001, Tommy Lee was throwing a birthday party for his five-year-old son, Brandon, who was born while Lee was still married to Pamela, Pamela Anderson. So this is Pamela Anderson's son as well. I'm sorry. They have a child named Brandon Lee. They do. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have been born after he died. Maybe they named him after Maybe. him. Maybe. They might have known him. Also, Brandon's just kind of a relatively popular name around this time. Yeah, that's true. Relatively common. Yeah, one of my best friends is named Brandon. Mm -hmm. So Uh, so Daniel Carvin Veras was one of 15 preschoolers attending the party and was accompanied by his nanny. Oh no, I don't like that you mentioned a child and a nanny. The nanny left the party early to attend a concert and asked another babysitter to look after the boy. The babysitter was out walking her dog when Daniel was discovered face down in the shallow end of the home's swimming pool. Wait, this is Tommy Lee's? Tommy Lee's house. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Daniel's parents filed a $10 million... So the kid died? Yes. Oh. Wrongful death suit. Yep. Um, wrongful death civil suit against Tommy Lee stating that Daniel couldn't swim and that there should have been better security at the birthday party. Mm-hmm. Because, the, like, I'm guessing he lives in a giant estate. So it's probably right. like... Mm-hmm. His son's five, it's a pool party, like the whole, well, you know. you know, it takes a child, like, the re- the smallest amount of time, from what I understand, like, a kid can drown in a heartbeat. Like, it's really ridiculous how easy it is to, for a child to drown. Yeah, I guess. And how little, how short of a time period of unsupervision is required in order for it to yeah, happen. Because, because talk it's about, happened so many times. Sure. Because talk about your lungs not even being close to being developed. Well, <laughs> you know. well, and uh, kids don't aren't able to like or don't have the instinct to fight in the same. Well, plus, drowning is just 
it does not, they always say it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. It doesn't look like screaming and struggling and like mm-hmm. it, it looks different, but it is such a common thing, but it's one of those things. Oh my goodness. It's, there are so many in, in law, I'm pretty sure like liability law when discussing like case law and stuff, the whole idea of like, who's responsible for a pool Sure. It's like a big sure. thing because it shows the complexities mm-hmm. of liability and who is really to consider to be responsible. Yep. But I would say, like, man, if you're having a bunch of kids over for anything at your house, number one, you are instantly opening yourself up to liability. Oh, yeah. Instantly. Second of all, like, there's got to be a plan for... Like, literally keeping an eye on every child that whole time. And mm-hmm. how that babysitter was just, like, cool jaunting off. Like, oh, I'm just going to go walk the dog. Unless, unless they thought that, you know, they asked someone else a miscommunication. to watch. Or I figure, mean, yeah, it's, it can happen very obviously, easily. Obviously, it's obvious miscommunication because the kid was left alone for long enough. Which, again, we already, you know, even, doesn't even take Even 60 much. seconds could be long But, uh, yeah, so clearly not everybody was doing what they should have been doing. But anyway. Um, yeah. On April 17th, 2003, a jury cleared Lee of all responsibility, with several jurors noting that it was the nanny who was ultimately to blame for the incident and that the drowning was accidental. Well, of course the drowning was accidental. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was ever... No, and it wasn't. It's just... And also, if you've got a pool, man... Mm -hmm. First of all, (laughs) I will say this to anyone who wants a pool, and we have a relative who's dying to get a pool. One... Pools are a terrible idea. They are. I'm sorry, they are. They're dangerous, they're incredibly expensive, and they devalue your property. They do. So They cost a lot to maintain. Uh, yes, they're incredibly expensive. And they are a liability, because mm-hmm. anytime there's a body of water, somebody could drown. Especially yep. children, or little animals, or even, any number Even of if things. it's a fucking kiddie pool. Yes! Kids, kids have drowned in those things. People have drowned in an inch of water in a <laughs> yes. bathtub. Yes. Yeah. It's in... Any amount of water is sufficient to drown <laughs> yeah. in. But, yes. uh, yeah. I mean, at least with the kiddie pool, you know, you, you just keep it for a summer and then you trash it. Right. Like, there's no upkeep on that. Or thing. you can just dump out the water each time you <laughs> yeah. use it, right? Because it's such let's, a little amount. Let's hope. Well, yes, let's hope, indeed. Man. So, previous, a, a few years previous to, to this incident, so, like... So this just, is all kind of happening. So, season. just death is, like, all around this band. It's just, like... And we're gonna get into some more. Oh, God. So in, in 1999, uh, Tommy Lee had quit Motley Crue to pursue to pursue a solo career, <laughs> along with several side projects for startup bands. And was, oh, this is and what the was, video you were watching. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and was replaced uh, with longtime Motley Crue friend and Ozzy Osbourne drummer Randy Castillo. Okay. So yes, in uh, one of Tommy Lee's side projects, mm-hmm. <laughs> better known as Methods of Mayhem, <laughs> he has. He has one of the greatest lyrics of all time. Oh, no. Because he shoots his jizzy jism. Oh, my God. That sounds Look. like a Tommy Lee line. Do, do, ne- your, do yourselves a favor, uh, dear listeners, and look that up. <laughs> Methods of Mayhem. I believe the name of the song is uh, Get Naked. <laughs> also, like, if you were to, like, abbreviate their name, they'd be Mom. <laughs> That is true. And no one wants to think of the words mom and jizzy jism in the same thought. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Uh, so in July 2000, the band released their ninth album, New Tattoo, and set out on yet another world tour to promote the album. Oh, do you know? I think I know that album. New yeah, Tattoo. it's their um, it's the first album with Neil back. But um, Tommy out. Tommy out. Yep. So shortly before the it's tour, it's just a drummer. Doesn't matter. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't go on to make awesome side projects like bass players do. Oh wait. <laughs> Yes, yeah, as evidenced by Methods of Mayhem. <laughs> I was going to say, you got me there. Can't, can't do anything about that one. I, I apologize. <laughs> on behalf of on all behalf, drummers. On behalf of all drummers. Uh, on behalf of all drummers, I apologize for Tommy Lee. Yes. Uh, so shortly before the tour concluded, Castillo was diagnosed with, duodenal can- with a oh, duodenal geez. ulcer. Oh, ulcer, okay. He left the tour to concentrate on his health, mm-hmm. and whole drummer Samantha Maloney filled in for the rest of the dates. That okay. was kind of an interesting time for them as well, because they had a female drummer for like six months. And... In like one of the most misogynistic bands <laughs> yes. ever. Yes! So, yeah. So she obviously just proved that she could hold her own against those guys. Uh, so... Then again, I wouldn't call whole unproblematic. Oh, they... Well, yes, but... I mean, Courtney Love was their lead singer, yes. so she actually, after dealing with her, she was probably like, "Yeah, this is nothing." <laughs> She's I like, with her. "I would rather it's like, deal." It's like, it's like these guys just get drunk and pass out. Like, <laughs> I would rather deal with murderer yeah. Vince Neil than Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. It's an indictment. Yeah, you know what? I somebody should ask her that question if she already has it. Then I'll uh, I'll have to see. I'm sure she. Has, has to have been asked that. Yeah, yeah. Has to have at some point. Like, who's the worst human? Courtney Love or... Like, which was the worst Neil. band to be in, like, drama speaking? Right. Hole or Motley Crue? Probably Hole because they had they had just gone through their peak, whereas Motley Crue was, at this point, they'd been on the downswing right. for quite a while. The stakes were a little lower, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, unfor- unfortunately, while Castillo was recovering from stomach surgery, it was discovered that he had a tumor on his jaw... Oh. And was then diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma. Jesus, that's skin cancer, I mm-hmm. believe. He passed away on March 26, 2002, mm-hmm. and the band went on a lengthy hiatus afterward. Wow. Imagine just being like, oh, I have an, a stomach ulcer. And then they're like, actually, you have skin cancer. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. So even though this particular medical condition has not ended in tragedy, I thought I would mention Mick Mars's. He is the lead guitarist. Okay. Struggle with ankylosing spon- spondylitis. Oh, okay. So um, our friend Kate has that. Oh, really? Yeah. From, um... Yeah, from... Oh, my God. Why couldn't I... What? Ignorance was bliss. Yes. Yes. And she's had some problems lately, too. I Yeah, I yeah. She's been through a lot yeah. and trying to... Um, determine what the issue is for her. Yeah. yeah. But, no, that's a health issue she suffers from. It, and... A number of people, I don't think it's super common, but obviously it, people do get it. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, it's a horrific yeah. health Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds just awful. Like, so, really painful and yes. extremely difficult to deal with. So, Mars was diagnosed with the condition at the age of 17. Mm. So, it is a chronic... Inf- so, he's been dealing with it his whole life, life pretty much. Whole life, yeah. It is a chronic, his whole adult life. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. It is a chronic inflammatory form of arthritis that affects the spine and pelvis and causes the bones in that area to fuse together. Yeah. That's the ankylizing yeah. part or whatever. It's like, um, you know, I always remember it because there's a the dinosaur ankylosaurus or whatever it's called. It's got oh, a very, okay. like, big... Um, <laughs> 
this could be right or this it's could a, be wrong. It's a big dinosaur. Yeah, well, no, it's got no, like no. a shell, a hard shell. Okay. So I think it comes from the same root word to mean to like... A fuse. Fu- like to fuse mm-hmm. or to have a hard shell or something. So. so over the years, it has caused his lower spine to seize up and completely freeze, drastically debilitating his movement yeah. and has resulted in him to be in and out of a specialized wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So at the age of 19, the disease began affecting his hips. Quote, mm-hmm. My hips started hurting every time I turned my body, and it felt like someone was igniting fireworks inside my bones. Yikes. Motley Crue was years away at that time, and I didn't have the money to see a doctor, so yeah. I just kept hoping I could yeah. do what I normally do, will it, will it away with the power of my mind, but it kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. While also the condition has neg- negative, un- oh, unquote, sorry. Uh, while the condition has negatively affected his health, it has also allowed him to remain largely in the background and focus on songwriting and guitar playing. I was going to say, we haven't heard any of <laughs> no, these horrible you, stories surrounding him. And you really don't, because he's in pain all the time, and he would rather he can't just... can't really raise much hell, do He would rather just have a fucking bottle of whiskey, a joint, and his guitar. Right. He's uh-huh. fine. Like, leave him alone. Right. So, quote, I don't believe in my own hype. I don't need to have a tremendously large ego, and I don't need to thumb my nose at people. That is an incredibly unusual attitude for a lead guitarist. Yeah. It is. <laughs> That, to me, is total bullshit. I am just a guy who loves to write and play music, and that is what I have been doing, and that is what I continue to do until the day I die. <laughs> Unquote. So, yeah, he's just like... You the, guys go the, off, do your <laughs> shit, he's whatever. Like, he's like, between you and Tommy and Nikki, there's <laughs> way more drama. There's enough drama for, like, 15 bands. <laughs> he's like, I'll just be back here. It's, it's very unusual <laughs> for the lead guitarist to be that person. Well, and I think probably because of his condition, too. Yes, like, uh-huh. I mean... He probably wanted to be like, like I don't know, like in his own kind of space where he could like easily get away if he needed to. Yeah, kind of be a little in, more controlling of his yeah. environment. Not running across yeah. the stage, no. and like you know, smashing yeah. his guitar. No, he's just playing. No, it. he had he had uh, dis- disabling limitations. He had he has a disability, so he has to um, monitor his spoons, as it were. So mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I I figured. I mean, it's not again. It's not. It hasn't been fatal, but obviously mm. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it has been horrible to deal with. Yes, um, having a, a chronic illness like that, yeah. that's very difficult. So, on to the legacy and popular resurgence oh. of Motley Crue. So, I've mentioned the autobiography written by Motley Crue themselves, mm-hmm. along with Dirt. Neil Strauss, The Dirt, Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band, several times already. Mm-hmm. So the book you was... did it more in the first episode, but yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the book was released in May 2001 and lasted four weeks on the New York Times bestseller oh. list. The film was released to Netflix a mere 18 years later in March yeah. 2019. I was going to say it was not in 2001. No. <laughs> the film was a critical failure garnering just a 37 average score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it was a success with audiences giving it an 85% average score and is still to this day one of Netflix's most watched original productions. Really? Yes. I remember thinking it was really gross. It kind of was. Of what they did. Well, I mean, when it came on, like, because it was one of those, like, suggested for... I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be a documentary yeah, documentary. Yeah, yeah. And then it turned out to be, like, a feature film, and right. I was like, yeah. But it wasn't just acted, right? It was, like, reenacting almost, wasn't it? I don't remember. No, 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 no. It was no, acted. No, it was a full-blown no, it was film. Full-blown, yeah, it was a full-blown, you know, like... Uh, Okay. <laughs> like the, uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say like the, um, 
Johnny Cash one, except this is oh, Motley Crue. Yeah. <laughs> that one was a lot more walk, critically acclaimed. Walk the crew. Walk the crew. <laughs> crew the line. I think I like that better. Or toe the line. Love isn't always on time. <laughs> Toad out. <laughs> uh, so. Africa power ballad. There you go. Is it a power ballad? Yeah, it's a pop song. Pop song. Yeah. So the film also sparked a massive uptick in sales and downloads of their catalog, with, <laughs> with iTunes reporting a 2,000% increase in downloads Jeez. from the previous year. On top of that, the band bought their master recordings when, uh, they, when their deal with Electra Records ended in 1980, 1998. So, yeah, that's a, always a big you would deal. Never, you would never believe it when I, like, I might have mentioned this in the first episode too, but... Just knowing these people, what I've told you about them so far, mm-hmm. they actually fulfilled a contract. Their full contract, yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, amazing. Well, they almost <laughs> didn't because they almost all died, but... That is true, but they still got it done. And there was only one Greatest Hits album mixed in, which those count, apparently. Okay. So... But they did their... They did their eight-album, eight, eight $25 albums. million dollar yep. deal? Yep. So, yeah. And, it's like, and in a smart business move, so they must have good... Like they have good managers, management. yeah. Yes. Uh, they they got their master recordings because there's a lot of money in that. They have fantastic lawyers. Vince Neil literally did 20 days in jail for killing somebody and, <laughs> and maiming two people for the rest of their lives. Taylor Swift couldn't even get her master recordings back. They actually mentioned that in where I um, take from this article. Yeah. And I don't get into that at all, but mm-hmm. now that you bring that up. Mm-hmm. Um, she had to re-record them all. Well, the guy, the guy said like that was a poor business decision. Like They should have... Yeah. They should have structured things such yep. that that wouldn't have mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. So it sounds like Motley Crue had better management than Taylor, than, than Swift, Taylor Swift in that. I imagine that's, yeah. that, that's a bold statement in itself. <laughs> right. Better management, Taylor Swift, Motley Crue. You'd <laughs> Motley be surprised. <laughs> you Motley may Crue. be surprised to learn. Did Taylor Swift ever kill people and maim them? No. <laughs> Not that we're aware <laughs> so of. Her lawyers have never been put to the test. <laughs> Motley Crews have over and over yeah. and over again. They probably have like a law class, like dealing with like entertainment law law or something that like that. That would be that would be hilarious if they had an entire law class based around Motley Crew and just everything that they did. So all we the, have liability, all the crimes the we're getting into. Pool, we have yes. assault. We have <laughs> we have. Uh, how do you legally bring somebody back to life? Right. <laughs> If the first adrenaline shot doesn't work, should you use the second? It worked this time, but... How to structure a record deal. (laughs) Yes. So, yes. So, they bought their master recordings back. Mm -hmm. Um, So, they bought them... um, They were still owed $12 million for various transactions when their contract ended. And through their manager, convinced Electra to just give them the master recordings for $10 million instead. Like, we'll we'll call it even Mm -hmm. if you give us our masters. Well, that's smart. The deal allowed Motley Crue to do whatever they wanted to do with their music. In 2014, Big Machine Records came to them with a proposition. Uh-huh. <laughs> now get this. I I briefly remember this happening because we both used to listen to Paul and Young Ron yeah. back, uh-huh. back in this time. Uh-huh. So, because they bring it up. Okay. So in 2014, Big Machine Records goes to Motley Crue and says, let country music stars cover your songs. Huh. And Motley Crue was like, Sure. sure. <laughs> they they probably looked at a uh, country singers uh, make how much money? <laughs> Cha-ching. Yes. Again, it's a good business decision. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of like. No, I mean I heard the no. It's 
because most of the most of these this is like the pop rock era yeah but most of these guys came up as guitar players and were influenced by rock guitarists too mm-hmm. just like some mm-hmm. rock guitarists are influenced by country guitarists mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah it's just like, shut the fuck up about if you had, beer uh, and your dogs for fuck's sake but if you had told somebody in 1988 that uh-huh. in the future country music stars would be covering motley crew like you would have been looked at like you were an alien like mm-hmm. no it's a fed there's a fed in here <laughs> <laughs> hide the joints again <laughs> So yeah, so they bought back their master recordings and let country stars like pick what songs they wanted to play. So, okay. um, Rascal Flatts, Florida Georgia Line, and Cassidy and Cassidy Pope, among others, covered some of Motley Crue's biggest hits along with some of the more obscure songs. The project was a hit with the country music audience and exposed them to a new generation as well as a new genre of fans. In November 2021, BMG purchased Motley Crue's entire catalog of music for how much do you think? BMG got Motley Crue. Let's see. Entire they, catalog. Mm, $30 million. $150 million. <gasps> Holy shit. So they made 15 times. Jeez, what they got it for. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously they put in the work for it. They did. But... They're yeah. all multi, multi million. Fuck yeah! <laughs> That's Jesus the other thing. It's like Christ. it's like no wonder they're all still alive. They never went broke. Yeah, no, they, they never did. No, they've always had money. All these guys. Wow. Because that's how that's that's usually how the that's the slippery slope yes. for most rock uh-huh. star deaths. Like lost all the money, lost the house, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. living with mom again. You know. They never hit rock bottom money wise. Financially, <laughs> no, they never yeah. did. No. So sorry, I was just trying to figure out because you said Florida Georgia. I'm like, I know, yeah. baby, you a song. You make me wanna roll my girls, girls, girls. <laughs> just trying to think out. Like, I'm sure there are all kinds of people that love Florida Georgia Line. Obviously, <laughs> I'm just not one of those people. I'll leave it at that. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Cannot do country. Cannot, cannot. So in 2022, wow, 150 million, 150 million dollars they sold it for. Mm-hmm. Well. They're, I hope their management got, and I'm sure they did. Oh, a very I'm good sure. Cut of I'm sure the management. They're the ones who the management wrote were their cut right the into that contract. Masterminds behind yes. it all. Yeah. It's like you guys. I think Tommy Lee was making this decision for himself. You guys just go out and get famous, make the music, do the drugs, bang the women. We'll take care of the other things. And ourselves <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. You guys obviously need adult supervision. We'll be that financially. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, so due to Motley Crue's. Renewed resurgence. Uh-huh. Motley Crue embarked on a European tour with Def Leppard in 2022. 2022. Def Leppard. And Motley Crue together. Motley Crue. That definitely would have made sense in 1988. That that would have been a huge bill back then. The problem is it's 2022. It is. And these are two problematic (laughs) Crue way more than Def Leppard, but... It was the most financially successful tour to date for either band. Oh, Wow. So successful, in fact, that if you've always been a crew fan, or a Def Leppard fan for that matter, you can still see them live in Europe somewhere this summer on tour with Def Leppard once again. They're, they're still touring. Wow. In Europe. Wow. Is Tom... Is, what lineup of crew is the, it? It's the original crew. Really? Well, this summer it is not. Okay. Mick Mars cannot tour anymore. Okay. That was, I'm surprised he's, yeah. I'm surprised uh-huh. he's, I was like, he was well, still touring. because at this point he's 60 or something? Oh yeah, these guys yeah. are all, well no, uh, he's closer to 70. 
Oh, he, he was older. like he was like six or seven years older than. Okay, I think you mentioned that. Yes. maybe in the first episode. These guys, when they when they formed, they were all like 20, 21, 22. Right. Mick Mars was like twenty six <laughs> or twenty seven. Gotcha. So yeah, he's always been. Uh huh. So he's he's gaining on seventy. You know, I gotta say, like, the older I get, especially, the more I realized that my dream of ever being a touring musician was like not a possibility for me. Oh no, no. like after you like after 25 really? I don't Certainly know how after 30 it's gone. Do it. It's just uh like we played a 3 hour show last night. Now this is just little covers, a little community band. We got a couple breaks, you know, and everything. And I was fucking exhausted at the end. Yeah. It is exhausting performing. I wouldn't want to go out and do it again tonight. I was going to say, and you were, yeah. Then again, you're not doing three-hour shows when you're, when not you're touring. Not typically, unless you're no. Springsteen. Yeah, you're yeah. doing, uh, I believe, like, standard. If you're the headliner, standard is always, like, 45 minutes to an hour. No, and like, 90 Sometimes, minutes, oh, I that's say, true. is pretty. Yeah, nine, that's, 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah, that's true. It is longer with, well, it's with acts typical. that have a bigger catalog, Yes, I guess. uh-huh. But yeah, I saw them in 2009. Oh, I, I don't uh, think I knew that you saw Molly. Oh, Lee. yeah. Um, so this was the non-Tommy Lee days. No, no, no. He left the band. No, they were back together in 2009. Oh, okay. Again. No. okay. Tommy Lee was not playing that night because he had broken his hand, but he was at the show. He had sang some songs with Vince Neil, okay. who sounded like shit. Really? <laughs> uh, Mick Mars was in like his wheelchair thing, okay. just playing. Uh-huh. Um, and Nikki Six was like still... <laughs> spry kind of running around playing bass and shit <laughs> but yeah this is uh this was in 2009 because it was their 20th anniversary of dr feelgood okay and they were playing the whole album start okay. to finish i think you told me about that yeah which mm-hmm. would which we were all like fucking so excited for like uh-huh. it was yeah that was a big album when it came out uh-huh. and uh yeah they were horrible it was just like it was like, like man musically were they oh bad? yeah they were bad like, like not good performance no it was not a good performance no or was it just like vince neil sound was it just the vocals were it, was, bad? it was it was a little bit of everything it was really? just like these guys are too old huh. you know i mean they who knows they could have gotten better since then i doubt it mm-hmm. but they could have gotten <laughs> somebody could have gotten them together and but uh but no we saw them at crew fest because it wasn't just them we saw um, uh we saw alice in chains um, who had just recently gotten back together. Mm-hmm. They had their new lead singer. Um, uh, who else? Oh, we saw Godsmack, and we saw somebody else. There were like four or five bands. Oh, we saw, um, oh my God, that rip-off Leonard Skinner band. Um, man, I can't remember their name, but they're terrible. Rip-off Leonard Skinner band? Yeah, like if if Leonard Skinner came out in like the mid-2000s, this is what they would sound like. It's that bad. Okay. I can't remember the name. <laughs> I'd be interested in who that was. But, uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, they were just not good. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you can ask uh, Jason and Chad. They were at that show, too. And okay. we were all kind of after. We were like, ah. yeah. And plus, on top of the fact that the bands that played before were mm-hmm. all, like, really good. Yeah. Shinedown. That's the name of the band. Shinedown. Even okay. though we hated them. I mean, they were good performers. You know, they... they... Just didn't like the music. No, not, not our style. But, uh... But yeah, and then you had, so you had the younger spry bands come out, play great shows, and then, uh-huh. you know, the 50-year-olds show up, which is probably what they were at that time, yeah. which, uh-huh. getting closer to it now myself, 50's not that old, even for performers, really. No, no. But they were, but the, the lives that these guys had already yeah. lived, I mean, they were just like... Well, and especially, you know, vocally, 
if you want to like just absolutely destroy your chances of longevity as a singer, like do drugs, scream at the top of your lungs, and smoke and, rinse, and drink. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. It's like the same... When I saw... And th- this point, this was years ago. I think this was before you and I even met. So this was over a decade ago. My dad and I went to see Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. You were talking about that, yeah. Yeah, Dude you said, Rob, you said Robert Plant was just uh, dumb. Uh, uh, yeah. One of the best vocalists in rock, right? Yeah. Oh, Back yeah. in the day. Sure. Amazing. Well, apparently all that screaming and partying got to him, and he cannot hit yeah. those notes. At some point, if you're a singer, you just kind of have to give it up. Like, you better you better have hoped along your career that you were also a rhythm guitarist so you can still do something. No, you would either need to be extremely conscious of it and take care of your voice or even if you do that that's no guarantee it's know? no guarantee but yeah. it it will it's, be it'll help yeah uh-huh. it's certainly not it's certainly a better option than mm-hmm. you know than... if you smoke you're virtually guaranteed you won't have that voice no. period end of story ask Joni mitchell mm. have you ever heard Joni mitchell's early stuff compared to her later stuff i don't know if i can uh, i'll tell play you some for much. you later um, so she's, she's not a killer taxi. Like she's had, got this like high little sing-songy voice. And then you listen to her later stuff and it's <laughs> like literally her voice dropped two octaves. It's ridiculous. I think I'm going to take a pass. On that. <laughs> no knock on Joni Mitchell. Just that, you know, that's what, that's what smoking will do to the voice. So, and all that partying, you know, it's like, you are not. Ca- Plus some of that. Rock and roll screaming, that's also going to do it to your vocal oh, yeah. cords, too. So. Yep. But in the end, Motley Crue has sold over 100 million albums that's worldwide, ridiculous. which is nuts. They've had eight top ten albums. They've had one number one album. They've had, I think it was six uh, or five platinum albums. You know, that's a... And they, they did that part, like the five platinum albums. That was in, like, the first ten years. Did they do a song about high heels? Probably, at some point. Why I, am I picturing high heels and Motley Crue? Is, there, is that an imagery on one of their album covers? Oh. Not on their album cover, I don't think. See, I just have very, <laughs> I have very little crew knowledge. I will, I will fully admit to that. To well, me, they were like a non-thought, but they were just not relevant when I was growing up. No. And, no, you know, my 80s music knowledge isn't great. No, your music so. knowledge ends in 1979, pretty much. Little bit of and a carryover. Picks over. up again at various points. Yes, it does. Yes. Picks up again around the time you were working for uh... the research, yeah. the music research place. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. you had to listen to those songs. Yes, I can sing a lot of hooks from 2013. <laughs> yes, you can. The year in music. <laughs> yeah, as, 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 as nobody else has said except me just now. <laughs> and also near the end of 2010, because that's when I was listening to um, pop radio, so I can. I can sing all of, just gonna stand there and watch me burn. Is that Rihanna? Yes, and Eminem. Oh, that's right. Uh, And some Kesha, or Ked Dollar Sign, huh? (laughs) I forget who did I think it was Stephen Colbert used to call that. Anyway. Anyway. Well, that was was crew-appropriate. That was (laughs) (laughs) crew-appropriate. And that was all part two of Motley Motley Crue, the world's most... Dangerous, infamous. There's all sorts of uh, deadliest. Rock. <laughs> deadliest. Yeah, you can use that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the world's deadliest rock band. 
Yeah, it's like De- if Deadliest Catch was a, about a rock band instead of, <laughs> instead of fishermen. In Alaska. <laughs> yeah. It'd be about abandoned life. I mean, they lost some dudes too, but, uh, you yeah. know. <laughs> That's true. You know, when they come out with, like, the lists of the most dangerous occupations, do they ever take <laughs> rock stars into account? I mean, you should. Right. I mean, really. They probably put them in with all musicians. Yeah. So. But yeah. then you're also talking, like, orchestral musicians who aren't necessarily yeah you would literally have to be specific like rock yeah. musician mm-hmm. <laughs> don't be one of these like 33 percent uh rate of death before right 40. <laughs> especially if you're a lead singer right so that was the story part two our conclusion of motley crew <laughs> this has been another episode of all bad things i'm rachel i'm david we'll see you next week